Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live. But we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey, good to see you guys. My name's John. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are just so glad to see you. Hey, if this is, uh, if you're new here, if this is your first time, second time, third time, we want to give you a gift. The best way we could think of actually getting a gift in your hand is that card in the seat, in one of the seats in front of you. It's a uh, red, red welcome card. And you fill that out with some really easy information about yourself. And then after the service, you go to the lobby and there's a table that says info. That's our info table. But you give that card to the person behind the table and they will give you a free gift. And so we just want to say thank you for being here. We're so glad that you are uh, a part of our evening, that you chose to give us an hour of your time. Thank you to you if you're watching online, wherever you are, whenever you are. Thanks for watching. And speaking of the internet, have you guys heard of this thing? Internet? I hear it's sticking around. But uh, you, every once in a while, on our social media accounts, we have Twitter, we have Instagram, we have Facebook. We don't have Tinder yet, but we're working on that one. A third of you know what that is. That's cool. I've, I've never used it. I don't know. But uh, we like to do giveaways on our social media account. You can find us at, at Your Cross Creek. And uh, this week, we did a giveaway of two free movie tickets. I know, free, no charge, nothing. You just had to do like post a little meme or something. Uh, ask your grandkids what that is. But uh, our winners, our winner is here. I know, Stephanie Tanner. Congratulations. You can use that on Star Wars or waste your time on some other movie. So enjoy, enjoy the, the date on us. Well, uh, we are in part four of a five-part series called Accepted. And in this series, we are exploring this idea, the, the, the fact that people who were nothing like Jesus loved being around him. People who had nothing in common with Jesus, people who had nothing in common with who we believe was God in a body, loved being around him. And he enjoyed them. And so our question was, why? Why did they enjoy being around? Like, the people who would never step foot in a church today loved being around Jesus. Why? And the answer is, he accepted them. He loved them. He chose to be around them. He accepted them. And our definition of accepted is, no matter how different we are, I see you as a person worthy of value and honor. Do we agree with everything that each other says or does? No. But I see you as a person, an individual, and I see you. You are worthy of value and honor because you were created in the image of God. And that's how Jesus treated people. That's how Jesus saw people. And they loved being around him. And so we're doing a series on what that means, what that looks like, how Jesus accepted people. 
And uh, in his book, Pastor Andy Stanley, his book uh, is called The Grace of God. In his book, he asks some questions that I want to ask us tonight as we kind of look at how Jesus accepted people. So the first question is this. How much sand would somebody have to drink in order to quench their thirst? How much sand would somebody have to drink in order to quench their thirst? One cup? Two? Three? A gallon? Right? It's, it's kind of a nonsense question, right? They're, the more sand, you, if you lived through it, the more sand you drank, the, the thirstier you would get, right? They kind of, they don't eat, that's, why would you try to quench your thirst with sand? It doesn't make any sense. Well, here's, here's another question. How much money, or how much stuff, don't worry, we're not talking about money tonight, but how much money or stuff would somebody have to accumulate in order to satisfy their need for acceptance? How much stuff would somebody have to get in order to satisfy their need for acceptance? Again, it doesn't make any sense, right? They, they don't relate. You can have acceptance without stuff, and you can definitely have stuff and money without acceptance. But we all know people who have chased money, who have chased possessions in order to fill that need for acceptance. Maybe you're sitting by them right now and you're hitting them in the ribs. Don't do that. This is for you, not for them. Last question. How many relationships would someone have to pursue in order to satisfy their need for a relationship with God? How many relationships would somebody have to pursue in order to satisfy their need for a relationship with God? And again, whether you believe in God or not, there's really no correlation there, right? It's kind of a nonsense question. But many people, and we all know them, maybe, maybe we are them, have tried. We've gone from one relationship to another, never finding that one that will finally have everything I need. Now, I think it's, it's a scientific fact. We were all created, or maybe we all evolved, whatever you believe. We were created to need relationships. It's part of us. It's part of who we are. We were created for relationships. And Jesus said we were created especially for a relationship with God. That we all were born with a need to know our Heavenly Father. That we work best when we are in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we believe, and Jesus taught, that sin, sin ruined that relationship. Sin basically meaning, and I know we're getting into sin really fast, but this is the last time we're going to talk about it, so you're safe. If you want to talk more about sin, we talked about that last week. So if, if this is your first week, good job on coming the next week. But sin is basically this. It's a, it's a scary religious word, but it's, it's basically saying what I want is more important than you. Right? And we've all done that. Right? We've all said, hey, what I want is more important than this person next to me. And Jesus called that sin. And we, and we believe that sin ruined that relationship with God because it separates us from him. Because we're, when we sin, we put ourselves above the people that he loves, the, his kids, right? If somebody hurts your kid, you're not too happy about that, right? It separates you. It separates that relationship. It breaks that relationship. And so whether we believe in God, whether we believe in actual sin or not, I think we've all felt a restless, nagging feeling that there's supposed to be something more to life. Right? And you're safe inside your head. You don't have to raise your hand and, and answer. But in some way, we've all felt that there should be something else to life. That, that, that there's, there's something missing. This isn't how life is supposed to be. And we're all searching for what it's supposed to be. And we all have different ideas of what that is. And so Jesus called that thirst. 
It's the type of thirst that we have inside of us. In fact, if you think about it, deep down, we're all thirsty and we don't know why. There's this deep down thirst that I think we all have and we don't know why it's there. We're born looking for a way to quench that thirst. And as we go through life, we try different ways to quench that thirst. You know, it might be relationships. Maybe, maybe marriage, you're hoping, will, will, will quench that thirst. Kids, food, sex, alcohol, work, right? The most, the most celebrated disease in our culture is workaholic, workaholism. That's a word. Workaholism, right? We celebrate that. Like, oh, wow, you're such a good worker. You've, you've given up everything for your work. Well, it's, a, it's trying to fill this, this void we have. Maybe it's entertainment, right? Sports or hunting or video games, achievement, wealth, thrills. Or maybe the worst of all that we try to fill this void with is religion. You know people who have, who have tried to, to fill this need, this need they have with religion. I'm not talking about the relationship with God that we're, we're talking about tonight, but religion. You ever met people that are super religious, but there's no way you want to be around them because they're the meanest person you've ever met in your life? That's what I'm talking about. And the crazy thing is, with all of these ways we try to quench that thirst of ours, they seem to work for a while, right? They seem to work at first. But like, you know, when you're really thirsty and all you have is like a soda or a beer and it's cold and it's, and it's, and it's wet and it's refreshing at first, but after a while, you're, st- you're even more dehydrated than when you started. It's the same way. In fact, the, the perfect example is seen in someone, we, we really only know her as the Samaritan woman, but it's a woman Jesus had a conversation with 2,000 years ago, and she had used marriage and relationships to quench this deep-down thirst that we all have. In fact, she'd been married five times. She had five husbands, and each time she was hoping that you know, this new one would be the one to fix everything. And whether, you know, her husband's died or whether it was divorce or whatnot, think about this. I just want you, as we get into this, this idea of Jesus having this conversation with this woman, think of the toll five marriages would have on someone. Think of, of I mean, some of you have been through divorce. You're your children of divorce. You, you have divorced. Think of having to go through that five times. Now, picture living in a small village, maybe of... 50 people. Those five husbands have come from that village, meaning everybody you live near is an in-law of one of your exes. Doesn't that sound great? Wouldn't you love that? I mean, they're not, they don't even have to Facebook stalk you. They're just like looking through your window. That's this lady. If anybody was thirsty for acceptance. If anybody needed acceptance in their life, it was this Samaritan woman. And that's why Jesus goes and makes sure that he meets her. And so we're going to look at this story, this, con- this true story, eyewitness account, uh, written by John, Jesus' best friend. He was a disciple of Jesus. And it's going to be in John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you don't, totally cool. We're going to have everything on the screen. You'll be able to read along with us. But so John, as he got older, he, his, his job was basically telling people what Jesus did. He was one of the disciples. Jesus said, hey, you know, I'm leaving. I want you guys to tell everybody how much God loves them and, and how I died and rose again for everyone. And his job is to go and tell everybody. But as he got older, he realized, hey, I'm not going to be around to tell everybody, so I need to write this down. 
And so we have this historical eyewitness document that we call now the book of John that's in the New Testament. And so we're going to look at this, this story of this woman who was trying to quench her thirst in her thirst for, for a relationship with God in ways that weren't actually quenching that thirst. So let's, let's jump right in. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, and it's kind of just setting up our story. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. And all of you are like, what? He had... That means nothing to you, right? Unless you study uh, Israeli geography, this is like, oh yeah, that's cool. But to the readers that John was writing to, this meant something weird to them because it says he had to go through Samaria from, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria. That's not true. The Bible lied. I'm just kidding. He had to go through to meet this woman, but here's, here's how they would usually, the Jews would usually travel. So he's, can you see that? Probably not. Here. Have you seen the YouTube videos of pastors that try to do things and they fall over and it, and it gets viral? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Jesus is here. Normally, and we'll talk about why, the, uh, the Jewish people would travel around Samaria. Samaria is that place in the middle. And then get up to Galilee. Jesus goes straight through. So he didn't have to. There's a well-traditional route there, right? He didn't have to, but he chose to because he wanted to meet this woman. See, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. If, if you've been in church, maybe you've heard that before, and just let's, let's catch everybody up. Jews and Samaritans did not like each other because Samaritans, their ancestry, we can go through all the conquered people and all that kind of stuff, but basically they were of mixed race. They were Gentiles and Jews, their ancestors were, and now the Samaritans were kind of like this mixed race that lived in a region called Samaria. The Jews considered themselves the pure race. Now that connotation that that phrase gives you, the pure race, that's exactly how the Samaritans felt about the Jews. It has that connotation for them. Right? This, they hated each other. This is like pure, outright, institutionalized racism. Also, the Jews and the Samaritans were divided by religion, which is super rare for that region of the world. It's the Middle East. There you go. See, the Samaritans, and there's still a small band of Samaritans that live in modern-day um, Israel, but they worshipped... They worshiped God, worshiped the same God, at the site of the first Jewish tabernacle on a mountain called Gerizim, Gerizim, Gerizim. And the Jews worshiped God in Jerusalem at Solomon's temple. So two different mountains where they said, no, you have to worship God here. No, you have to worship God here. And they hated each other because of it, right? That's kind of how these religious things are. They don't make sense to people on the outside, but on the inside, people want to kill you for it. So normally, a Jewish rabbi would not set foot in Samaria, But Jesus knew there's a thirsty soul in need of reviving, and so he has to go through Samaria. So around noon, Jesus and his disciples, including John, the author of this story, stop near a town called Sychar for lunch. It's around noon. And as the disciples go into town to get food, Jesus kind of rests and hangs out by a well, which is about a mile and a half outside of the town. It's called Jacob's Well. It's named after the, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And a woman from the town comes to get water. 
It's a well. It's the well, nice well around. It's been there for, for centuries for them. And Jesus, sitting there, asks, asks her for a drink. And here's what happens. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That's saying it nicely. She's not expecting anybody to be there. See, usually women in the town would go, and they, they still do this, would go in the morning or the evening to get water when it's nice and cool. Right? It's, a, it's a hot area. It's a mile and a half having to carry those jugs of water. So she's going there at noon, which is interesting. See, because the women normally would go to the, go to the well. And that's where they'd socialize. That's where they'd hang out. That's where they'd, you know, tell jokes about their kids and, and husbands, which you guys never do. And so they're hanging out, and she avoids all of that. I'm guessing she probably didn't want to be around anybody. Right? She couldn't handle her mother, her three ex-mother-in-laws laughing at her. And then the fourth one being like, oh yeah, my son too. Yeah, she has issues. They couldn't ha- she couldn't handle the judging. And it says that, she says, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Basically meaning don't use the same cups. Think about not using the same drinking fountains. That's what we're talking about. That's the institutionalized racism that we are, that she and Jesus are facing right here. See, for the Jews, the only thing lower than a tax collector, which we talked about last week, was a Samaritan. The only thing lower than a Samaritan was a Samaritan woman. See, men, especially Jewish rabbis, did not even speak to women in public. Women had no rights. Especially for a Jew, a Samaritan woman, that there's, there's nothing lower. There's nothing worse. But here's the thing. Jesus did, and, and you know, if you're not a Jesus follower, we're glad you're here. We created this church for you. But here's one reason, if, if I were a woman, why I would really look into this idea of following Jesus. In fact, you know, if, maybe if you're, if you're not a woman, but you know a woman that you love, this, here's why I would look into following Jesus. Jesus did more to elevate the status of women than any other religious figure in history. We tend to lose that. But at a time where it was institutionalized that women were lower, women were property, Jesus breaks all the boundaries and has a conversation in public with a Samaritan woman. It's, it's really interesting. Anyway, so she says, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? There's anger in that response, right? There's, there's this pent-up rage against this racism, against this sexism. She's almost like flippant, like, why would you ask me? Obviously, you're the Jewish rabbi. You know, you think you're better than me. And Jesus responds. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He's saying, hey, don't, don't dismiss me too quickly. Right? Look, that's, you know, I, I get that you're, you're angry about this, and you know, you're here at noon, which is interesting. But don't, don't skip by what I'm trying to say. And he offers her living water, which in her mind, it usually meant the fresh spring water that would bubble up from the bottom of the well. Right? And so you get the, the kind of tepid rainwater that sits on top and the fresh spring water underneath. And so that gets her attention. Like, hey, I, got, I can give you the good water. Like, you're used to getting the kind of the, the okay tap water, but I have like the Fuji spring fresh water that I could, if you knew, if you asked for that, I could give it to you. And so it gets her attention, right? She doesn't just, doesn't just like dismiss him and, and she, she answers him. Sir, the woman said, 
you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. It's actually uh, 135 feet deep. It's still there. Uh, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus has no rope, has no buckets, 135 feet deep. She's saying, who do you think you are? So you're, you're better than our founding father, Jacob, who gave us this well. Basically, she's saying, look, weirdo. You're not supposed to be talking to me. I know the rules. I'm fine. I don't know you. I don't trust you. You're here waiting for some reason. The water I get is good enough. I've been getting it for years. I've been getting it since I was a little girl. It's worked so far. I don't need what you're offering. Just kind of like leave me alone. Jesus doesn't. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, obviously. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. That's weird. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, well, I'm not talking about what you think I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that will quench your true thirst forever. Something that will give you eternal, real, full life now and forever. I mean, think about this this woman who had to, you know, face the heat of the day because she didn't want to be judged once again, had to walk a mile and a half to get water with those, you know, the big jugs that they either carried on their shoulders or on their head. A mile and a half there, a mile and a half back. I mean, like this idea of never being thirsty again, it was like, for her, it was better than essential oils, rodan in fields, and a pumpkin spice latte all mixed together. Right? It doesn't get better than that. And so she, she goes on, she answers. She says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Give me this magic water. I am in. Sounds great. See, she thinks her need is a physical thirst. Like, hey, I don't ever want to be thirsty. That sounds great, right? I don't ever want to be thirsty again. She wants an easier life. Not having to go to the well all the time. Not having to face rejection every single day. See, her immediate need blinded her to her true need. She thought she just needed water. She needed something so much better. And I think that happens to us, too. If you think about it, our daily life often keeps us from finding real life. Our daily life often keeps us from finding real life. There's all these dreams and hopes that we have. But life, life, we like to say, gets in the way, right? There's the dishes we have to do. There's, there's the report that's due in a week. There's, you know, fighting for that raise. There's, there's finding the right house. There's getting the kids to school. There's finding clothes and washing clothes. And daily life keeps us from actually being able to find real life. Who has time to think about eternal life-quenching water and these deep spiritual things when I'm just trying to get through today. And that's what this woman is facing. She can't see her true need because she's so focused on her, her immediate need. So Jesus does something to kind of wake her up. And really, if you read this and, and you kind of take off the religious glasses, you're not like, oh, you know, Jesus, da, da, da. Look, I mean, be this woman for a minute. Jesus does something here that is almost cruel. 
it, it's, it's mean, but it's to get her out of her routine thinking. Instead of explaining where she's misunderstood, being like, hey, I'm God, and I'm actually talking about eternal life, not just water, right? It was a metaphor, but you didn't get it, so let me walk you through it. Instead of doing that, he goes to the core of her pain. He goes to her real thirst that she's been trying to quench with the sand of relationships. Check this out. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. That's the shortest sentence she says in this conversation, by the way. She's usually very, very chatty. But this one kind of, she doesn't really want to talk about this. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Once again, she thinks. Word has gotten, somebody, I mean, there's no Facebook, somebody must have told him, or, you know, maybe he actually is this prophet that she's going to talk about. But once again, you know, I thought maybe this guy was talking to me, I thought maybe, you know, there was something here. But here comes the judgment. Here comes the, oh, that's right, you're, you're that, you're that. Samaritan woman. He says, you know, let's get rid of this sand. The reason he brings this up, let's get rid of this sand that you've been trying to drink. Let's, let's actually get you refreshed. Let's give you real life. Let's get rid of the false acceptance that you've been chasing so you can experience true acceptance. You're right. You don't have a husband. You've gone through five and now you're using someone else's husband. Do you see your real need now? Do you see what you need is not just water. What you need is a fresh start. What you need is new life. And the woman says, yeah, this is getting awkward. Let's, let's, let's talk about something else. And so she asks a question that would normally get any Jewish rabbi just off this rabbit trail like, you know, teachers like to do. And so she asks this question. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet right? You, you, somehow you knew that. Anyway, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, right? They, they worshiped where the tabernacle was. But you Jews tr- uh, claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem, right? She goes to the core of this debate between the Jews and the Samaritans. This will distract them, right? Usually anybody talks about this, they just get all heated, they get all fired up. She dodges the question, Right? She's, he says, bring, bring your husband. I have no husband. That's right. You've had five, and now you're stealing someone else's husband. Okay, so let's talk about religion. You ever notice, especially like with religious people, it's often easier to talk about religion than what we hope religion will satisfy? Or we could say it this way, which I don't have in my notes. It's easier to be religious than confront our true need. It's easier to be religious, easier to talk about, you know, religious debates and, well, you know, what if, what if there was this unreached tribe that nobody knew, but they're really good people, but then they died, what would happen to them? Which I think is a fair question, but when somebody's trying to bring up our, our true need, often it's easier to go into those types of debates, those types of questions. You know, hey, you know, have you heard of how much Jesus loves you? Yeah, but what's your view on abortion? We can talk about that, but what about Jesus? You know, what, let's, let's talk about the, the real stuff. It's easier 
to be religious than actually confront our true need. Like I said, you've met those mean religious people who have the Bible memorized only so they can use it to hit you in the face with it. Right? They have all the verses memorized of why you're a sinner and why God probably doesn't like you. They know the Bible, they know the religion, but they've missed the whole point of it. They're trying to fill that, that thirst with making themselves feel better by judging others. And so Jesus, knowing that he really you know, hit this sensitive point and sees what she's trying to do, he gives her a break. He, he lets her take a breath. And so he explains to her that soon people won't need to worship in temples. People won't need to worship on holy mountains anymore. Soon God would dwell in people's hearts and that loving each other would be worship. And so thinking her diversion worked, she tries to end the conversation and really get out of there before you know, it gets awkward again. Here's what she says. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ, Messiah is the Jewish word, Christ is the Greek word, basically meaning the anointed one, the one God's sending to, to say, rescue the world. I know that uh, the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Basically saying, hey, you know, that's nice, you know, worshiping in spirit and in truth. If you've read it, you can, or not, you can go back and read it. You know, that's, that's cool. Well, see you later. Big gulps, huh? Well, see you later. <laughs> this is a nice conversation. Now it's time for me to go. I can get out of here. But see, a nice little conversation, it's not why Jesus had come to Samaria. It's not why he had stopped at that well at noon on purpose. It's not why he had sent his disciples away to get lunch instead of going himself. He wasn't there for a nice little conversation. So as she's turning to leave, Jesus basically drops the bomb. He gives her the good news, news that is better than she could have hoped. Here's what Jesus says as she's like turning to leave. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Yeah, when, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything to us. The one you've been talking to, I am the Messiah. Like the re Jewish religious leaders had tried over and over to get Jesus to come out and say this. To come out and say, who, do you, who are you, Jesus? And he, he always kind of evaded it. He always was kind of... But in the middle of nowhere, to this woman that nobody, nobody would give the time of day to, he reveals like the, the most profound secret, the most profound information in the universe, that Jesus himself was God coming to rescue his children. And I think as she's turning to leave, you like, there weren't tires then, but if there were, you would have heard the tires screech, right? What? The whole time. This man who knew my past but still kept talking to me? This man who knew everything I had done but still treated me? with respect, who gave me the time of day, the man who offered me in this weird way that I didn't really understand, who offered me this full, refreshing, new life, is actually the one who can give it? The one who promised me eternal life is the one who can fulfill that promise? I mean, she's been rejected her whole life, and now the one person who's accepted her is the only one that matters. The one person who's accepted her is the one that everyone has been waiting for. So I think clarity really just flooded her mind and her heart in that moment, that she was accepted by the only one that mattered. She had tried to be accepted 
by these husbands. She had no doubt tried to be accepted by her village. I think in that moment she realized none of that mattered. What she was trying to do didn't fulfill the need she actually had, which was this eternal life, this relationship with the man she was talking to right then. She had been uninterested. Like, oh, you're weird. Why are you talking about all this religious stuff? I got to go. She was even annoyed by him. Like, why are you, I'm here, I want to get my water, I want to go home, I don't want to have to talk to any of the in-laws. But now she knew her life would never, ever be the same. And right at that moment, the disciples come back. Hey, Jesus, what's up? It says none of them dared ask why he's talking to this woman. They, they knew better. They knew Jesus was a little out there. They knew he might have had a good reason. But the disciples come back, and here's what happens. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Look at that detail, though. Now leaving her water jar. Why is that detail there? Why do we know she left her water jar by the, by the well? Because John, the guy who's writing this, saw her leave her water jar there. It's an eyewitness detail. And there's a reason he left it there. He, he wrote that there. Saying, look, this woman came for water, but she found something so much better that she didn't even worry about her water jar anymore. Like, you can't just go to the store and buy a water jar. You have to, like, pay somebody to make it, or you have to make it. It's, it's, you know, it's a prized possession. She leaves it there, totally forgetting why she went there in the first place. And she runs a mile and a half back to go talk to these people who have judged her her whole life. And she says... Hey, come see the man who's told me everything I've ever done. And they're like, yeah, we know everything you've ever done, right? But she doesn't care. See, she leaves her water jar because when our true need is met, other needs don't seem as important. When our true need is met, other needs that we think we need aren't as important. We think we need the house. We think we need the car. We think we need the relationship. We think we need the clothes. We think we need the raise. Nothing wrong with all of those, but they won't satisfy the thirst. And when our real thirst for life is satisfied, those things have a proper perspective. They don't seem like needs anymore. They don't seem more important than the people that you are next to. They don't seem more important than that one relationship we all need with our Heavenly Father. And so they're like, yeah, lady, we, we know what you've done, right? That was my son, that was my brother. But there was something different. See, she wasn't hiding from them anymore. and She wasn't ashamed of them anymore. She was excited. She was happy. That shame that she had carried around for so long was gone. And so they said, well, there must be something here. Let's go check it out for ourselves. And they discovered what she discovered, that Jesus is the ultimate source of satisfaction. Jesus is the ultimate source of satisfaction. His relationship is the ultimate relationship that brings meaning and purpose and fulfillment to all of our other relationships, to our life. And so here's, here's how the story ends. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, 
many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Now we know for ourselves that he offers real life. Now we know for ourselves that we were thirsty, but now it's been quenched. So as we, as we kind of finish tonight, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I have to do this. Are you thirsty? I'm thirsty. I've been talking a long time. But are you thirsty? Don't raise your hand. But have you experienced that restlessness? Maybe that, that longing, that maybe it's a feeling that there's supposed to be more to life, not just getting up, going to work, coming home. Not just getting up, doing the laundry, going home. Not just getting up, taking care of the kids, going home. Or you are home. Unless you're a teacher, then you're taking care of the kids and then going home and taking care of the kids. That's fun. <laughs> Have you experienced that, that there's supposed to be more? That there's, there's something missing that there, you, we're looking for it and we just can't put our finger on it and what, no matter what you've tried, it just never lives up to its promise? If you're a Jesus follower, maybe, you know, you feel like there's supposed to be more to this Christianity thing, right? Your spouse keeps dragging you to church and you're like, that's nice, you know, but I don't, I don't get this excitement thing and you're talking about relationships and what's that about? Like, are you, does Christianity seem kind of boring to you? Right? If Christianity seems boring to you, you're doing it wrong. You're looking for the wrong thing. You know what we're looking, you know what we need, right? It's the love and acceptance of the creator of love, of the creator of relationships. That's what we all need. See, it's the one relationship. When I say relationship, if that word bothers you, some, you know, I'm not talking about Jesus being your boyfriend relationship. I'm talking about like this bond, this friendship. If you had a good father or you've seen a good father somewhere, maybe even on TV, that type of relationship, a good father and their child. That's the only relationship we were created to enjoy, for, or it's the one relationship we were created to enjoy forever. And the God who sat waiting for that Samaritan woman that everyone else had rejected, he's waiting for you. That's why you're here. That's why you were created. He's waiting for you to have that relationship. But first, we have to admit we have a thirst in order for it to be satisfied. We have to admit that we have a real thirst in order for it to actually be satisfied, in order to be willing to drink that water. So we have to admit we have a thirst, that there is something missing. And then we have to stop drinking sand. So whether you're a Jesus follower or not, what's your sand? What are you hoping will quench that deep down thirst within? Relationships? Some type of entertainment? Cars? Money? Has it been religion? just can't find the right church that fits just right, and so you keep trying to find other ones. And maybe, maybe you don't know. You're like, well, I don't, I don't know. What's my sand? If you got the guts, ask your spouse. Ask, ask a friend you trust. Or ask your mom. She'll probably know. Maybe she tells you all the time. That's why you haven't called her. 
A hint, if you like, really want to know, go back and look at all your social media posts. Maybe what all those are about is your sand. Maybe not. And the difficulty is, like we said earlier, these things aren't bad, like entertainment, you have you cars and, and relationships, those aren't bad things. And they might actually work for a while until they don't. Until it's just not as satisfying as it used to be. And you move on to more or something else or someone else. Because drinking sand, as we said, leaves you thirstier and thirstier. The more you drink, the thirstier you are. Because our true need is true life. Our true need is true life. It's not what we've been trying to fill our life with, not what we're so busy with. Our true need is true life, which is knowing and trusting your Heavenly Father. Knowing who you are. Knowing why you are. And knowing what your purpose is, why you are here, what you're supposed to do. So allow Jesus to quench your thirst. Just like this woman did. Just like that whole village did. Allow Jesus to quench your thirst. See, the Samaritan woman found what she had been searching for her whole life. She found real life. A life of purpose. A life of purpose from the one who created her on purpose. And she would tell you, accept the life, the water of life that Jesus offers. Find purpose. Find meaning. Find happiness in the only source that can actually provide it and where it lasts. Jesus. You may say, well, how do I do that? What religious rituals do I have to go to? I mean, this sounds kind of out there, right? It's simple. In fact, if that's what you want to do, if you want this real life, you're tired of drinking the sand, it's this. This is a simple prayer. We can chant it later. I'm just kidding. We don't chant. You just say this in your own time. That's why I made it a note that we could write down. You could have it when you're ready. Heavenly Father, because he's a good father, I need something else. What I have been searching for does not work. There is still something missing. I need something else. Give me your living water. Give me the life you offer. It can be that simple. I want to stop drinking sand. I want this real life that you offered that woman, that you still offer to everyone. I want it. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with entertainment, with relationships. Obviously, we're created to be in relationships. Nothing wrong with working hard and making money. I mean, money's a a tool to, to make the world a better place. But when they become our hope for satisfaction, we will always end up empty and thirsty. So what if, you know, whether you had a little or whether you had a lot, whether things were going well or whether things were not going well, you had a deeper satisfaction that, you know, no circumstance could affect. You had a a happiness in you that outside sources couldn't, couldn't take away, that you had a purpose in life that every time you woke up, you knew there is a, there is a meaning to this day, a sense of meaning, purpose, a reason beyond yourself to live the life you were living. And what if at the end of your life, your, your family, your kids, didn't argue about who gets your stuff? Right? What if that wasn't your legacy? What if at the end of your life, your family looked back on a life that enriched theirs? A life that made a difference in their life, 
And they were thankful for every minute that they got to be with you. And they were looking forward to seeing you again soon. That's the life Jesus offers all of us. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, that is the life he offers everyone. And that's the power of his acceptance. See, Jesus' acceptance revives a thirsty soul. Jesus' acceptance revives a thirsty soul. But we have to admit that we're thirsty. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the true refreshing water of life that you offer. Thank you that you're a God who wants to have a, a relationship with us, that you, you purposely called yourself our Father, our good Father, because you love us unconditionally, because you take care of us, and because you invite us to enjoy you. Thank you for what you offer. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Give us the courage to, to trust you and, and turn away from the, the things we think will, will quench our thirst. Show us that you are real. Show us that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you for being here. Thank you for watching online. Next week, we will wrap up this series of Accepted, and I hope to see you there. And we have a few more seats where you could invite friends. You're allowed to. We'll see you next week.